episode 222 ladies and gents it is good to be back we've got guests today this is the first time doing guests in uh in quite a while after the uh, the whole back incident and so uh, bear with me if i'm a little rusty with guests here but we're gonna we're gonna work out any kinks uh it is uh, a little after 5 30 my fault there and uh we are going to uh we're gonna get into i think a lot of really really good stuff uh, i told you guys in the last show that we were going to go through the uncommunist manifesto without Svetsky and Mark Moss. Uh, you guys, I think, are pretty uh, pretty up to speed with who Alexander Svetsky is. Uh, we did a five-part series on him. Uh, Bitcoin is not democracy. He has done all sorts of stuff out there in the Bitcoin magazine. Uh, he now runs the Bitcoin Times. Did a lot of really amazing stuff in the uh, DCA world. I think probably the first. I could go on and on about the guy. Uh, Alex Fesky is with us and the nationally syndicated host of the Mark Moss Show. Mark Moss also joins us today. These guys are absolute heroes in this space. Welcome to Radical. Gents, I really appreciate you guys coming on and doing this, man. This book's awesome. Shane, thanks so much for having us. What a, what a radical intro that was. Love it's that. It's one of my favorite intros. I absolutely love it. Every time oh. I see it, I'm like... Boom. I'll, I'll set you open, my guy. Please, please. It's Daniel Moss out there. If you hear this, man, everybody loves that guy. He gets everybody amped up before the show, gets me going. I hear it, and it's just like, oh, high energy, high energy. So but good. Today, yeah. I think this might be the first time on this show that I've had two guys that are so in, in aligned in so many things that, I don't know, the 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 Austrian economics, the the individual spirit – freedom, pushing back against the state, libertarianism. I mean, some of it, you know, give or leave, just economic, like this idea, don't hurt people and don't take their damn stuff. Like yeah. I am, I, I don't know, should we just wrap the show and go get beers now? Like, what's up? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. Um, so you guys wrote, you guys got together. Uh, I, I think this is, I think we need to, to kind of build this backstory a little bit because not only did you guys write a book together, you guys did it in uh, in how long? I think four the, days. Yeah, four the, days? the crux of it was four days. That's right. The crux of it, yeah, that's that's a good way to say it. Yeah, I mean, just just a small you know undertaking. Hey, man, let's get together. Let's lock ourselves in a house, right? Isn't that kind of what you guys did? And said, hey, I'm going to be accountable. You're going to be accountable. And the legend goes, that you guys just whipped out a, uh, a, a I don't know a little uh, manifesto here to to combat what we're facing here in America. And around the world. Yeah, that was exactly right. I mean, we got a we got a nice little Airbnb condo in Austin, Texas, and uh, had a had a gym there, and had like a little coffee bar, so we could like wake up, <laughs> like ride a little bit, go work out, drink some coffee. Well, I drink coffee, he doesn't, and then uh, work some more. And like, uh, it was it was it was tough though, like holding that focus and staying like in that zone for long periods of time. So, uh, you know, we. We, we took we took quite a few breaks and have to go out and get some food and things like that but but for the most part we left uh, I think I think it was four days maybe five days uh, with with the manuscript pretty much in in check um, intact and then um, Alex spent probably a couple of weeks after that like editing and kind of going through it and stuff like that but um yeah we knocked it out it was it was difficult but but it was it was fun and uh, when I left I remember going to the airport to fly out and thinking like dang I should do something like that more often uh, meaning like these like uh, very intense focused like mm -hmm. sprints stuff, stuff like that it worked really well who, who was yeah. the mastermind like what, who, what was the impetus mark mark was the original impetus 
well, for the for the for the book for the book sprint or for the book yeah for the book sprint like whatever you guys did in, in terms of like getting together and writing this uh, well for for the book sprint idea i think the first time i had heard about it i think it was jimmy song and uh those guys got together and did a little book sprint mm -hmm. um which i think he's done like three of them now and mm -hmm. when i first read about it i was like oh that seems like a great idea to do it that way um, so that was the that was the, that was the inspiration for this like book sprint. I forget which book it was that they they did the first time. I don't know if you remember Alex. Um, it was the little Bitcoin book was the first sprint that they did. Okay, yeah. Um, so I remember reading they they did an article talking about how they sprinted and did this, and I remember reading that and going, "Dang, that's pretty cool. That's a good way to write a book." Um, so yeah, that that was that was the idea. Um, I think it, it originally sprang from a trip to El Salvador at, at Bitcoin Beach, and I had brought a copy of the original manuscript, the the original Communist Manifesto, and I had just read it for the first time, which I'm I'm a little embarrassed to say, just because I've been talking out against communism and socialism and Karl Marx and Marxism for so long, and I've and I've done a lot of research. I mean, I'm, I'm not ignorant, but I just hadn't actually read that that particular book, and it's a short booklet. It's it's very small. It's about 7,500 words. And I remember I read it and I was just like, what does, does anybody even, has anybody ever read this book? And I, and I had this feeling like if people read it, there's no way they would agree with it. Like, you know, like it may sound good. Like you hear these like sugar-coated versions of what it promises you, things like that. But if you actually read what it said, I can't imagine people, most people would want to go with that. And so then um, I talked to Alex. I was like, Hey, I got this book. Have you ever read it? He hadn't either. And it was like <laughs> shocking. I, I, I can't believe really? it. I can't believe like, uh, do, do women know what this says? Right? Like, I can't believe women would go along with this. Right. And so then it was like, man, we should, we should rewrite it. And it was wanting to, um, for me, it was like wanting to bring attention to that original book because I just thought it was so bad that if people read it, they would just not like it. It was, it'd be a turnoff, right? Like it almost kind of does what we want. If people would just read that and be turned off and then we could kind of propose another way. And we kind of, chatted it and threw it out there didn't really take action on it and then about whatever it was six seven months later alex was like dude let's do this thing and and, and we did why alex i mean of all the people in the world why alex <laughs> <laughs> well him and what i were, were you thinking what were him you and, thinking him and i were together when when we we obviously had that conversation uh and and obviously he's a he's an amazing writer um i think you know the original book Karl marx was a philosopher and um so he writes in a philosophical tone um alex is also a philosopher and he writes in in that same tone as well i'm i'm a i'm an educator i mean i i create you know six seven eight hours of content a week but i think more like instructional so my thinking is a little bit different and so i think the two of us kind of working together where i think kind of a little more linear a little bit more instructional um so i wrote two chapters he wrote two chapters and then we kind of uh, went over each other's chapters. And so um, I think the blend of his philosophical take with my little bit more, you know, matter of fact take, and, and I think, it, I think it turned out really well. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to second that. Um, you know, Alex, I mean, Marcus said a lot here so far. Um, how, how do you feel about book sprints after doing a book sprint? It was... <laughs> I'm just laughing at the, why did you pick him? <laughs> you could have picked anyone else. <laughs> no, I'm giving you a hard time because I like him as man. I love it. It's, uh, it's, it's, I, I think, you know, and I, I've obviously gone through this and I've started it. I don't know how many times, uh, you know, during this jaunt, I've carried this book around with me and kind of gone back through here and there. And then I was like, until these guys come on, man, I'm not going to, you know, get through the ending of this because I kind of mm -hmm. want to, I want this thing to kind of hit at the end. Um, yeah, I know you guys both threw Bitcoin. Um, and I, I think it's 
really it's it's one of those things that helps people you know really see uh and to 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 be you know leaders in that forefront right now where the people i mean the, the more people i meet in the space the more blown i blown away i am by just how damn smart they are and so i know you know you guys are extremely humble guys but i mean mark great choice honestly uh and, and obviously mark you, you know same to you uh or alex and, and mark i mean jesus um it's i i go through this and i in the the first thing i notice is you guys want to use similar language right like mm-hmm. i mean you guys want to talk to people and have good communication that is not something a lot of people do is, is that somebody's idea uh i mean alex do you mean the definitions piece for example yeah. or like yeah so so this was yeah this is as we started writing the book I started like using terms and, and I remember using terms like fitness and uh, forcing function and efficacy. And then the, the one I think that really got us to write the definitions was Mark and I were kind of talking about the word capitalism. And a lot of people are tired of using the word capitalism. And Mark sort of mentioned, he's like, you know, I kind of like to use free markets these days. And I was like, you know what? Fuck that. Don't let these losers take the word capitalism. Like let's make capitalism great again. Like, that the yeah. word is perfectly fucking fine. There's nothing wrong with taking capital and using it more efficiently and more effectively. Like what, what, what more moral pursuit can a human being have than to use scarce capital better? Like literally the, you know, one of the definitions of morality. So we sat there and it's actually, I can't remember if it was uh, the first Bitcoin is not democratic or the second one, but in there, I, first contended with uh, trying to define capitalism. Uh, and, and that's sort of where the the seeds of the idea of it being defined as a process as opposed to a political modality sort of hit me. And, and I'm sure this is not an original idea. I'm sure Austrians and you know other thinkers have kind of thought about this. But I think the way we really defined it in here was quite novel, which is we just said, hey, look, this is not capitalism isn't politics. It's just it's just the process. We do it. It's the transformation of chaos into order. We, we as human beings, we just want to take things and stuff and transform them with our time and energy and turn them into something that is a you know more valuable thing and stuff. And if someone else perceives that, you know, they might trade their thing and stuff for our things and stuff. And we're all happy. Like that, that's what we do, and we've been doing that since the beginning of time. There's nothing new about this process. It's as it's just become more complex, it's required a mechanism to transmit that energy. And that, you know, that mechanism is money, first of all. Um, And then it's required a method of thinking to understand what we're doing. And that method of thinking is, you know, probably the economic theories that have sprouted up. And as we all know, like Austrian economics is the economic theory that is the most natural and like matter of fact of all of them. It's the, you know, I, I think of it as the the one with that obeys the law of uh, least intervention. It's like, just get the fuck out of everyone's way and just let people do what they naturally do. And anyway, yeah, just to sort of tie it back is we felt it necessary. It's like, look, there's all these words and all these terms that we're going to use. Let's just define them at the outset. And what what I will say to people listening to this, it's it's not like a fucking uh, Oxford Dictionary, Mary Webster set of <laughs> <No>. definitions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and, and I'd like to like make a comment about that in the entire book. Um, 
I use a lot of language that I try to make more accurate than what is in mm-hmm. our, you know, modern vernacular, right? Like murder mm-hmm. cult and, th- you know, like uh, government, government youth indoctrination camps, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't like to speak their language because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there is a definite distinction. But I also think there's this really cool piece because when we're communicating as human beings, man, you can have the conversation with somebody and you can say what you mean and that person does not understand what you said the way you mm-hmm. meant it. Right. And so to that to elevate that idea that we're going to try to speak to each other the same language just does this automatic like I, I want to show you the most respect that I can and I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to talk past you and I want you to understand what I'm actually thinking. So I, I, that part of the I mean the entire book you can just see this is not written like your definitions aren't their wording they're not their definitions you guys come in with a you know sledgehammer and i think it's cool as hell thank you thank you yeah i i honestly think that that's um for for me without that i I don't think the book would be as powerful um i I think the the other four chapters are are well written but with with that i mean one one of my more successful and this may be how mark and i first connected was i did a podcast with peter mccormack and i tried to basically pitch him on the idea of why libertarianism and, you know, Austrian economics is like sound and, you know, McCormack's a statist, uh, still <laughs> suffering from that disease. And what, what we did was like the beginning of the conversation, I kind of lured him in and, you know, credit where credit's due. Like I've debated other people and, you know, the debates have just been this shit show of like yelling over each other. Whereas McCormack sort of, played ball. He, you know, we, we defined a set of terms. We defined what was good, what was bad. And then I got him to literally explain why democracy and statism is bad, not intentionally, but through the definitions that we established in the beginning. He's like, you're trying to trap me. I'm like, I'm not trying to trap you. You're fucking trapping yourself. Like <laughs> you, you've said it. And, and this is the same thing with the book. Like if someone reads this book and comes out at the end of it and says capitalism bad, they're literally stating that, uh, using energy wisely is a bad idea like you know or that they would have to literally say that life is fucking bad like we should kill everyone like it's very hard to argue with this when we started from that foundation and and i think that's as you said it's the best way to argue and and i don't even want to use the word argue there it's the best way to communicate because Mm -hmm. you set the the playing field and and, you know I, i would credit when i was young you know, I did a whole lot of Tony Robbins stuff and, you know, he, he's a magnificent communicator. I think he's one of the best communicators who ever lived, let alone that's just in the world today. And, and I think I, I learned quite a bit of that from him um, because he's fantastic at positioning a message so that you receive it. So, yeah, I think, I mean, if that's what you're picking up, then clearly what we put down is uh, doing the job. Unfortunately, we have people today that do uh, think that, uh, human life and natural order is bad. <laughs> so we can't, we can't win all of those people. So unfortunately we can still have people uh, draw conclusions where, um, and this is something that we talk about a lot, but it's just that, um, you know, some people, and unfortunately a lot of the, the people that, that align with these ideologies, these Marxism or communism ideologies is they believe that other people aren't smart. They don't know. And so because of that, um, then uh, capitalism, which as we define, which is just natural, just emergent, it's just the way humans are. We just naturally freely trade with each other. We're just naturally trying to become more efficient with the resources that we have. Um, and what's wrong with that? Shouldn't we just 
be able to use what we have and naturally try to improve things. Why but do some you people, hate more people? Mark? Some people would actually say no, right? And and, that, and that's a yeah. sad thing. That's a sad thing. Yeah, I mean, who's going to build the roads and all that nonsense, right? I mean, it, it, it's crazy to to think that. I, I guess. I mean, if you are, oh, who, who, what was the philosopher that, uh, you know, was it, it was Hobbes or uh, that said, you know, life is brutish and short and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? And I, I, maybe I'm, maybe it's not Hobbes, but if you do look at the world, I, that's the only way I can see somebody taking away with this is humans are always evil and humans are going to eat humans and you might as well be the dominant human on the planet eating everybody else's stuff, right? And uh, like, that's the only I mean, what a monstrous way to see the world. I mean, if, if you're going to disagree with this book in, in, in terms of capitalism, especially, it's like, man, whoa, well, okay, I see you over there. You, 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 know, you monster. <laughs> I don't yeah. want any part of it. I'm telling you, you better stay at bay, which I think is great. The, the, the great, one, one of the you know, things that obviously pops out right away is that your, your chapter one, uh, you guys talk about static versus dynamic classes. And I don't think in America, because of the indoctrination programs, that people think like this. You know, they, they get you at age five and they let you go maybe at 18, maybe go on to, you know, higher indoctrination. Who knows? But the, this indoctrination, it teaches you that, man, anything is possible in America. And, you know, well, I think in some places it did. Definitely while I was growing up, it did. And that, you know, everything was mobile and classes were mobile and what they did over in England. No, that was that was the bad stuff, you know, under a, a tyrant king or queen or something like that. Um, and I don't think most people think about that in America where you have people that you will never be. You will never be part of the banking cabal. You, you, you will never be maybe part of the elite political class or the zombie corporations, right? Like you may be able to get to the zombie corporation level, but you're going to sell your soul to do it. Um, and this, this idea of static mobility, social mobility in, in here, I, I was like, yeah, you know what, this is something that really needs to be addressed because I think most people, uh, still believe otherwise you guys comment on that and, and why you found it maybe most important to put up front in the book. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to say something that might come off unpopular, <laughs> Because <laughs> on this no, show, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that classes are necessary. Um, in in you know, and people have in the past called me a classicist, um, and that's fine. Um, I think um, having classes is just as normal as uh, having groups and associations and people you want to hang out with, and. To be honest, um, if I was, you know, like in, in the personal development space, you know, whether you see this on Instagram or, you know, any world, like they talk about, you know, the five people you spend time with, you, you are the average of the five people you spend time with. There's a definition of class right there, but no one views that as a bad thing because they know that, you know, if you want to aspire to be better, you know, you want to figure out who you're hanging out with. So classes are always going to emerge naturally. The question is, is whether those uh, classes are permeable and whether like th there still needs to be some level of boundary, right? Because you don't want to just have anybody come into your space and into your like valued group. Mark and I were having a discussion uh, on a previous podcast and he mentioned something about the surfing sort of 
group or class, right? They have a very, internally, they're very clicky. You know, to kind of get into that group, you need to, there's a threshold that you need to exceed in terms of either uh, surfing skill or how you behave and how you approach things. Like that, there's, there's, a, there's a method to get in the click. Now, that keeps the click special internally. Like if it's just open to fucking everyone, then it, you, you lose the quality of, of what you're creating internally. So what I think is important to note, and, and this is in some senses, honestly, the, the feudal period didn't just magically emerge as a class uh, sort of structure. It emerged because it was functional. There was a warrior class. There was a farmer class. There was a peasant class. There was a noble class. There, there was all of these different classes. And each one sort of took, did what they were good at. Now, where the feudal sort of system stagnated was in its stagnation, where it, th there was very limited opportunity to sort of rise up and down uh, in, in those classes. And this is where, in some senses, uh, you look at, particularly the Americans, the, the French fucked it up in their French Revolution. They abolished the classes, but they abolished everything else with it, you know, so they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Whereas the Americans managed to, at least in the early days, uh, you know, the, the, the disease of communism and equality is kind of you know, come into America now. But in the early days, there was this class mobility. And that just enabled those who wanted to work harder, those who wanted to achieve more, those who wanted to create more, build more, etc., to climb. And those who fucking didn't, they got to fall. And, and that was really important. That creates a robust and functional society. So at every stage, you know, that there will be some sort of coalescence of class and I mean, it, it almost reminds me, you know, like I've got a bit of a background in physics and I just think about uh, quantum energy levels between, you know, like electron states, like everything seems to quantize in, you know, in life and in the world. And while we want permeability, like there will be some sort of coalescence at each level and, you know, th there will be like a lower middle class, there will be a middle middle class, there will be a higher middle class and the values and the kind of people that are in each one are going to be very similar and there'll be differences between them. And that's perfectly fine. And for those who want to move up, you know, they're going to need to adapt their behavior and behave in a certain, you know, in a different way. And they're going to have to perform different amounts of work and add different amounts of value and all that sort of stuff. And that's perfectly fucking fine. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, what, what I kind of want to say is the unpopular thing is yes, there should be classes, uh, but let's, make classes great again by making <laughs> the the perimeters you know permeable mark yeah i mean i think he, he summed it up really well i think um the piece i would just maybe just try to kind of reiterate um put a little emphasis on is is um the ability to move up and down and so mm -hmm. i think that's the big thing and so kind of to the point that you made earlier like uh these these uh, upper echelons that maybe aren't really attainable I mean, maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe you have to sell your soul. I mean, we did have a, you know, we 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 did have a, a a black person reach the presidency, right? So it's like all these black people that are so oppressed. It's like, I mean, you could pretty much get there. Now, what did he have to give up to get there? He had to make some deals with the devil, et cetera. But, but I think the ability to move up is there for the most part. I mean, you know, maybe not to that exact level, but to your point, you can get to the zombie company level if you want to call it that. Um, but but really, what we need is more of the ability to fall back down. 
And so by them falling back down, then allows people to move back up and take those spots. And so um, in order for that to happen, um, we need a system that that allows that to happen, a, a system that has consequences and accountability and responsibility that are built into that. And so when you see Janet Yellen running around, um, you know, for decades, making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, um, I, I made a video where I said, um, I, I, and I actually broke down the definition of criminal negligence. Mm -hmm. So criminal negligence, it's criminal when you should know better and you've done something that affects bad, uh, massive harm. And, and, and she's done that. Oh, yeah. She makes bad call after bad call after bad call, but yet she's still there. Why is she still in power or whatever? Um, yeah. I guess she, right. And so um, those bad decisions should result in her losing her position. And then they would open up the door to more people. Um, and then, of course, it's around the fiat money system that allows them to paper over their losses, socialize the losses, et cetera, where they should be losing their capital. They should lose their business. They should lose their position. And then it should open up to somebody else. So um, while I think most people still view, you know, the United States and the, and the capitalist system or whatever we want to call whatever we have today um, as, as ability to move up. But we really also want to emphasize that ability to fall back down. I, I think that's a brilliant way to say it and, and much, much more intelligent when, when I said, you know, permeating the upper like that. We never see justice anymore in America, especially for the elite. And I, and I think right. that's perfect. Uh, like, like Nancy Pelosi's husband with his DUI, right? <laughs> <laughs> and all their insider trading. And I mean, yeah. you, you name it. It's just, you know, uh, I don't know. We probably start, you know, in my lifetime. Uh, with the, the DOJ had uh, Eric Holder, and then you saw Costigan and Lois Lerner, and then yeah. uh, you saw most of the CIA heads, you know, come parading through there. And nobody, like, I mean, straight up just lied to people's faces about domestic spying and programs yeah. and everything. You're just like, dude, this is a clown world. They, this is, this is, these are mock trials. And yeah. that's the thing is like, if, if anybody's still paying attention to that stuff, it's nonsense, complete, complete nonsense. One of the, the greatest quotes, uh, you know, uh, Alex, to kind of what you were talking about, the, um, the ability to, you know, I guess outperform and add value to the society. I think this is one of the greatest things for those people that are out there that maybe don't agree with Alex in terms of classes um, and inequality and, and things like that is this quote that you guys put in here uh, by Thomas uh, Sowell. And he's, he's, I mean, he's awesome. I, I, I hope the man is alive forever. But it says, quote, nobody is equal to anybody. Even the same man is not equal to himself on different days. Isn't that the truth? I mean, especially, geez, as we're aging and everything else. I mean, you, you're just, you're not. You got different economic output and value to the system and everything else. And at some point in your life, you know, you might just be a ripping young man and, you know, who knows, you know, years later, you can't do a whole lot. But um, the, this moves, this book moves into, I want to probably hit this one pretty quick because towards the end, we get into where the solutions are, right? And mm -hmm. like I said, these guys have a lot in common, uh, but the, the one thing that I see, you know, burning through right now is bitcoin and we'll get to that the the competent individual who wants to who wants to talk about this chapter real quick and uh yeah i can touch on it real quick so oh, so we, we were yeah. sitting there thinking about like what the hell to call this chapter <laughs> and you know we we're like okay how can we frame the two types of people that are basically or, or, or the two types of thinking or the two ways that people are showing up and I think of the word fitness here, it comes to mind and we define fitness in the definitions. And, and 
I, I had, I remember when I was writing the definition for fitness in particular, I was, I think I wrote this one after we did the sprint. Cause I was sitting there thinking about like, you know, what is fitness? And, you know, there's the Darwinian idea of like, uh, you know, survival of the fittest, etc. And then, you know, there's this idea of the aesthetic nature of fitness, you know, being buff and all that. But I just thought, fuck, it's in the word, like that, which fits like, a circle fits into a circle, like a square doesn't fit into the square. And so if something fits, it extends in my mind to, to that, which is right. Like, so, so there's something right about that, that which fits. And you know, that there, there's an extension there as well. Thinking about this out loud, if it's, if it fits, it's right. It's, it's moral. Right. So, so mm-hmm. there's, there seems to be some sort of uh, connection between all of these. And I guess, trying to uh, name this chapter, we're like, okay, so how does one behave uh, morally? And, you know, that is to be someone who, you know, does the right thing, you know, it's like does, uh, performs uh, in a way that exhibits fitness. So who does that? That's someone who's competent, like, so someone who wants to do the right thing and put the circle in the circle, not the fucking square in the circle, he'll be the competent individual and the incompetent individual will be sitting there pretending to put the square in the circle. And then because he can't, he'll go and blame someone else and then create a political system to explain how the square will one day fit the circle. If enough of you vote for me and we will take it from this guy here who has the circle mm-hmm. and then we'll put the circle in the fucking square. And like they'll create all of this crap around it um, all to cover up their incompetence. And you end up getting like w- when those kind of people come out, you end up building these hierarchies of incompetence. And I think that's in chapter two as well, where we talk about these hierarchies is that hierarchies will always naturally occur. They'll always naturally form uh, people who are competent will generally rise up because they're good at what they're doing. You know, the fitness and the righteousness is there. And when you have those hierarchies, you know, they, they function very well. And then when someone better comes along, they kind of displace the person. You have this kind of what we were discussing earlier, right? You have mm-hmm. this people fall and other people rise. And that's all perfectly normal. That that happens. It's our organic. own life, for God's sakes. I mean, well, exactly. We have the cycle of life, right? Love and family and everything else in this chapter. And it's, mm-hmm. there's, there's a hierarchical, you know, nature in the family. And it's just the natural part of life. You'll be at the low end of the totem pole. You'll rise. And if you're lucky enough to come down gracefully, you know, you, you've probably lived a pretty good life. Um, the, the What you guys set out here um page 53 uh I, man you guys started ticking these things off on a list and i you know i could go through all nine of them but the preservation of private property the abolition mm-hmm. of taxation the right of responsibility to defend oneself uh the abolition of central banks the movement of uh common and organic eminent uh, monetary standard yeah hell yeah and then um you've got the reintroduction of uh Primacy in the family unit. I love this kind of stuff. I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is the this is what's been perverted by this fiat, you know, nonsense that we've been fed our entire life. And and like you know, in in nature, we we also you know we must produce to to live. And what that's you know what we've talked about 
you know, has turned that on its head and where, you know, family and love and our connection to each other and our neighbors and our community has really kind of, um, you know, been pushed into in, into division, you've had the state step in and pervert every, you know, facet of this along the way. Yeah. Mark? Yeah. And that goes back to just the, the, starting with the, with the, with the competent individual. And so, you know, we believe that competency should allow you to rise, right? So as yeah. you grow, as you mature, as you develop, as you um, become better versions of yourself, then you rise being competent. Um, and then when you're incompetent, you make bad decisions and there's consequences and you fall back down, back to that kind of up and down um, elevator type situation. But um, really there's nowhere in life that you would see incompetence rewarded except in a, fiat money system, right? It's just, it's just not done anywhere else. Um, and so we don't really get into, uh, you, you threw out the word Bitcoin. We talk about it. I think it's about 10 times in the book. Um, but you're, as you go through this, you realize uh, what props up this uh, ability to have this uh, insane world that we have. Um, and then that we must get rid of that system in order to have a, a better better view of it. Um, you'd you'd reference these ten points that we have in there. You didn't want to read all ten, but all ten um, on the back. Yep, sorry. In in the original Communist Manifesto, he laid out ten points of Marxism, mm -hmm. and so these ten things must be true in order to be in a Marxist society. And so then we kind of gave our rebuttal. And the book wasn't about rebutting each one by one, but rather just providing our own set of them. Uh, but a heavy progressive or graduated income tax is one that he, he put in the original. So sounds sort of familiar. Um, uh, centralization of credit in the hands of the state by the means of national bank with state capital. Um, sounds uh, sort of familiar. Uh, centralization <laughs> of means of communication and transport. So communication and transport in the hands of the state. So yep. you start to see like very quickly, like, wait a minute, like what kind of uh, people, oh, but we, we, li we live in capitalism today. Look how bad it is. Oh, really? Because uh, the 10 points sound a, a lot like Marxism to me. It's a great um, segue into chapter three. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're right. You're, and I mean that like, you know, when, when you guys go from that into chapter three, you guys are moving into all the the FUD we get about capitalism these days. I don't know about you guys, but you know, I look at America in general and I see, you know, 1913, the Federal Reserve Act is passed by probably one of the worst presidents, you know, the US ever had, uh, Woodrow Wilson. And you start to go, was this the moment that capitalism died in America? I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. I think I think it's a it's I think it's a spectrum. Right. So like as we make uh, make the argument in the in the book, right, that uh, that capitalism is just organic, it's just emergent and politics uh, puts rules over that and somehow tries to control that natural phenomenon. And I think you would see that anywhere, um, whether that's a village or a tribe, you know, there's 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 hierarchy and they, there's politics that are involved in that. So I would imagine it's always a spectrum. Um, I, I would say there's probably several big areas that keep locking capitalism down more and more and more. So obviously that'd be a big one, right? So that was the creation of the central bank, which is point yeah. number five in the Marxist manifesto, which, so the communist manifesto was written in the late 1800s. Um, so I think it's about what, 1863 or something yeah, like that. Right, 1850. Right. 1850. Uh, 1850. Yeah. Right in the middle. 
Okay, so about sixty years previous before the before the central bank was established in the United States, and the, and the central bank, for those that uh, don't know, uh, they had been trying to push a central bank in the United States for a long period of time. There was one before; it's called the National Bank. It wasn't the central bank, but it was basically the same thing. Um, and so they had been trying to get the grips of this of this central bank or national bank in the in the country for a long time. And so it was an extension of that. So I think it was always a, a blend. Obviously, politics started, and so right off the bat, that started holding back the natural forces of capitalism. Uh, the central bank, of course, was a really big one. And of course, they didn't just introduce the central bank in 1913. They also introduced the IRS. So it was both It was both the, the, the central bank and number two, which was the heavy progressive graduated income tax. And so both of those were put in at one place. I think, I think a really big blow to capitalism in the United States was FDR's New Deal. I mean, that was massive. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's kind of the one that I look at. So probably between the creation of the central bank and the, and the IRS, those, those are probably the biggest. And then maybe FDR's New Deal was probably a really big blow, I think. Yeah. And then, and then it's, I think these are all like ratchet functions, right? And right. yeah, there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government uh, mandate. <laughs> and you yeah. know, so, so we, we had those ratchets. Then, then you know, the obvious, the, the classic 1971 um, you know, the, the intervention in World War II, getting involved in, you know, other people's wars. And then Vietnam was another one. And then, you know, g- g- God knows. And the list goes on. And then obviously we had the what the fuck happened in 2020. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so the show goes on. And, you know, now, like, we're at a point where, like, basically, you know, so in 1913, we had two of the eight uh, communist, you know, the 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 what was I calling them before the the Ten Commandments of Communism? You know, America got two of them. Now we're at like nine of them. Um, we're almost all the way. You know, fucking celebrate. The only one we don't have is number eight, which is equal liability of all to labor. So they didn't talk mm-hmm. about welfare. They talked about equal abil- uh, liability for all to labor. So everybody was supposed to labor, each according to their ability, each according to their need. Um, now we have a welfare state, but that's a different different subject. But um, we also had the creation of the FCC, Federal you know, Communications, which is um, right where it says here, number six, centralization of means of communication. Um, so we created all these government agencies to manage all these things, agriculture, right, Department of Agriculture, um, which is, is especially laid out here. Um, and so it was this spectrum. And and I think to, to uh, the point Alex made is perfect. It's like a ratchet and it just keeps getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. It's it's funny, you know, the, the Communist Manifesto and the, uh, the the timing in terms of bringing over uh, the the Prussian uh, progressive, you know, indoctrination from Europe, right? Like that was ha- hand in hand. Uh, got here to the United States and was funded by you know guys like uh, Henry Ford uh, and, and John Carnegie and like to to see all of this kind of you know this perfect storm just coming from Europe you know getting into the the shores of America and then you know centralizing and taking over every aspect of the life you know it was just it was incrementalism like you're you're ratcheting it, it's it it, it happened uh, generationally. I think, you know, what's really cool now is, you know, we are kind of turning, I don't know, a, a new revolutionary page here that you guys start to get into uh, in, in chapter four here. And I just lost my damn spot, but it's um, the, uh, no, I'm sorry, chapter three in the uh, the phantoms of capitalism. You guys, you know, start this one off with, uh, with Comrade Lenin and, you know, the debauchery of capitalism, the, the from him reads in 
in such a way that you it just you know you look at it and you're like boy this this is the end goal of anything socialism just like mark said it was and there are people pushing as fast as this right now as possible um you know at the i guess it you know through this where do you see the the hope arising where do you see you know this this page turning and you know going through the the technocracies the monopolies the you know all the fud in terms of like what you guys have talked about your conservative right your your oligopies your uh your political capitalism and even you know colonialism and democracy right like some people would say that you guys are out of your minds for not saying that's capitalism. <laughs> I am definitely out of my mind. It's taken me 35 years to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would say the shining light is if they read that Lenin quote, he basically lays out the way to screw up capitalism is to screw up the money. Like mm-hmm. if I had to sum up, it's a, the, the quote is about a page long. Yeah. Screw up the money. <laughs> Yeah, screw up the money and you screw up capitalism and yep. you you basically derange everyone's behavior. You screw up time preference and all the downstream effects basically mm-hmm. turn civilization into a culture of spending and gambling, which is lo and behold, look around you. Everyone is an investor and everyone is buying cheap plastic shit and seed oils, right? Like mm-hmm. that's literally what we see everywhere. So the, the shining light, I mean, is the opposite to that which is fix the money and fix capitalism right and and this is you know it sounds like a trope people once again will say we're crazy and you know bitcoin doesn't fix everything but you know i'm sorry but bitcoin sort of fixes this is that you you get that piece right and and this is the innovation of bitcoin like people think the innovation of bitcoin is blockchain or fucking payments or whatever the innovation of bitcoin is we took the damn money the scorecard and we put it out, we put it on the shelf, so it's too high for any of us idiots to reach. Mm-hmm. The ledger. Yep. That's it. It's out of the way now. Now, it's fair game. Now we can all like, and I'm sure there's going to be localized politics and people performing all sorts of shenanigans, and like, there's going to still be mess. And this is, you know, I wrote a piece uh, for Bitcoin Magazine last month, which was called Bitcoiners aren't utopians. And I basically just slammed the idea that people were like, oh yeah, you Bitcoiners think everything's gonna be perfect. I'm like, no, we fucking don't. We just know that uh, it's, people are gonna be stupid anyway. So why build an institution where all the criminals and all the stupid people can go to and have legal protection to perform all the atrocities, like at least decentralize the stupidity and the corruption a little bit and you create less of a situation for mass scale, uh, you know, de-evolution and destruction of civilization. And, and, and that's sort of what we're advocating for here with like Bitcoin just takes that measuring stick. It takes the scorecard, takes the ledger in the sky, whatever you want to kind of define money as, puts it outside of all of our hands and then lets us play. And then, you know, what, what I would argue is that the, the rules or, or sorry, the, the way you play the game starts to err more towards competence, more towards fitness, more towards doing the right thing, more towards cooperation. So, so it starts to shift behavior in, in a different direction because right now the behavior is structured like for you to get alpha, for you to get an advantage, for you to win, 
you like go to politics. The way to win in politics is be the most corrupt piece of shit you can be. Um, you know, screw as many people over as possible, rape and pillage, you know, do all that. For you to win in the corporate game, you have to be some sicko. You need to fucking make rules with the government. You need to make friends with the government. You need to get regulatory modes and all like so, so you need to basically play like a fuckwit to to win. So so all of the structures at the moment basically trend people towards doing things that are immoral because that's the way to win the game. Because you want to get clo as close as possible to where the monetary spigot basically is. So Bitcoin places the monetary spigot outside of all of our hands, makes it programmatic, makes it transparent, makes it open to all of us. And now we need to adjust our behavior in order to find, you know, what a friend of mine Travel would call like a meta. We, we need to find a better way to play the game. And that way starts to become more uh, reliant on, as I said, competence, fitness, uh, and, you know, doing the right thing at the right time. Yeah. That's a better fucking world to live in, at least from where <laughs> I can sit, you know, I'm sure yeah. not from where the parasites sit. You're so selfish. Uh, I, I'm a selfish. All your money. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. One, one thing I would add is um, in your first part of the question, you would ask like, where's the hope, right? And so I think a lot of the hope is actually in, in the chapter before where we, we really laid out. So, so, you know, part of what Marxism and cultural Marxism is today is, is, is coming up with all these identities, identity politics, and then making everybody feel like they're victims. And so then if I can make you feel like a victim, then you need a savior. And so then I can come save you and then you vote for me kind of a thing. Right. And so um, in this book, it was just the rich versus the poor, the poor, are the oppressors, the richer, um, the richer, the oppressors, the poor was the oppressed. And in the book, so they make the case, um, the poor have no capital. So without capital, you're worthless. You're worth nothing. Now, the rich have the capital. You don't have capital. You can't get it because the poor only have their labor. That's all they have. And their labor never turns into capital. That's the case that he made. You're poor. You're a victim. You have nothing to offer. You'll never get ahead. Um, and that's it. Woe is me. Right? And it feeds into the sins of, of humanity, you know, uh, greed and envy and slothfulness, et cetera. And so the hope is that we say, no, 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 that was completely wrong. And now maybe at that time, um, giving him the benefit of the doubt, maybe at that time that was partially true. But today, thankful, thanks to capitalism, thanks to the division of labor, now we have lots of other things. So now we can see today that there's lots of forms of capital. And so we break this down in the book. And so like your ideas are capital, intellectual capital, right? So your ideas, um, your thoughts, your body, you have all these different things that you can do. Now, Marx was mad at the world because he wanted to write philosophy and, and the world didn't value at that time. But today it does. The world does value philosophy today, right? And so you have all these things to offer. Offer. Um, all of these things are capital. They're your capital. If you learn how to use these things properly, then you can excel. You can be that competent individual. You can rise. And so that's the hope, right? So we're um, instead of instead of painting people as victims and you have no hope and just give up and die. It's like no, you have all this to offer. All of these things are yours. Uh, challenge them to become better versions of themselves. Use those capitalism use what you have use your property um to the highest and best use um and so anyway that's where i think the hope is and and hopefully uh i you know when you study humanity right and and marx uh and keynesians uh, they don't understand human incentives and motivations and things like that but humans we need hope yeah we need hope we need hope we need to believe that the future can be better 
And so he painted a very bleak world that the future can't be better. You're poor and that's just it. And there's nothing you can do about it. But we give a, a, a picture of hope. And we think that if people have that hope, if they have a little bit of something to, to, to desire to drive towards that, hope, hopefully <laughs> we hope that they'll rise to that occasion. Yeah, I, and I, I see, um, you know, I guess probably my final segue, because I want to be very respectful of your guys' time, um, is the the hope that I see in this world. I, I see there is a lot in this world that uh, obviously uh, is, is being taken from very good people, uh, you know, people that go out, have played by the rules, that have busted their ass, uh, that have served their communities. And, you know, the, the languishing of the dollars that they may have saved, um, the possibility that they're having to choose now between some, uh, some, some niceties for their family, uh, possibly going to work, different type of, you know, ingestion of, you know, different products that maybe not so healthy for them, right? Like there's, there's yeah. a ton of stuff going on. The, the light in this, the, in, the ingestion, I love it. Yeah, this dark <laughs> world, man, that has brought so many people from different backgrounds together uh is this new mostly i think damn near 100 pure community is the bitcoin community not crypto not not blockchains not not fiat not money damn bitcoin and you know like to see what 2022 was down in miami to experience the culture firsthand um was something that you know, I, I had the light bulb was on, but something else happened there, like something else where you connect with that type of energy with that type of fire, that is, you know, quadratic to, to steal a phrase there, uh, Alex, the, the idea that we're going to take these people and combine these people into a, you know, a, you know, a lots of lots of little laser beams into one extremely mm-hmm. potent, powerful, pushing, smart, uh, dedicated, wise with their resources, type of effort that is. I, I, I think. I think. I think that's a perfect example that shatters the notions that were put together in the original book. So, um, to the point that you made, Bitcoin. The Bitcoin conference is amazing, and and the last year, I remember just hitting me like electricity in the air. And you look around, and you have every race and color and creed and gender and preference and whatever. They're all there. Yeah. So all the identities, which per Marx and per neo-cultural Marxism today, we're all supposed to be struggling against each other. But we're all there together because we don't align on identities. We align on values. Yeah. And the values, the the core values, uh, some values are higher than others. And so like a core value of freedom, for example, is very, very high value. So when we align on that, then all the genders, races, et cetera, they all come together on that. And so it completely shatters what neo-Marxism tells us today. And we see that and it was a good example. The the opposite of that was uh, uh, like two months later, or no, was, I, think, I think the very month, next month later, I went to Austin for the Consensus Conference, which is a crypto conference, <laughs> the largest in the world. It's been a long, around longer than, than the Bitcoin conference. And um, I was in Austin for the event. I didn't actually go to the conference itself, but I did go to some of the official after parties afterwards. And I remember at one of them, and I'm just like looking around at all these people, and I'm just like, who are all these people? I'm like, why are they here? Right. Like I know at the Bitcoin conference, I know why people are there. Why are these people here? Like, are they hoping to like find a new piece of art or like, what, like what, what, what is it that they're here for? You know? And, uh, 
And uh, anyway, uh, I think to, to your point, that's a great example. I see it and, and, it, and it destroys the, the ideas that he put together in the book. Alex? Yeah, I mean, I think if people haven't heard me bash cryptos, like I think I, I've, I've prided myself in some sense in being one of the first people to try and call out like crypto is actually the attack on Bitcoin. And yeah. I, I've, you know, since I had my real Bitcoin light bulb moment, because I, I shitcoined a little bit in the beginning, I thought, you know, I was going to make some money and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, as I sort of dug deeper, I, I found something far more meaningful and I'm a big meaning advocate. I think if, if there was a meaning to life, it's to discover meaning and the, the shit coiner is meaningless. Like it's, as Mark said, why the fuck are these people here? Flip another fucking JPEG or, you know, make a quick buck and do a deal with a VC for some, you know, vaporware. It's like, it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. And there's something deep and profound about Bitcoin. And when I look at crypto, I just tell people, I'm like, look, this is central banking 2.0. That's it. That you've got the nerds. They're pissed off that the old, fragile, you know, central bankers um, are printing all the money. So these idiots want to print their own money. So they kind of co-opt bits and pieces of like the Bitcoin narrative. You know, they'll throw around words like decentralization and blockchain, you know, blockchain and whatever other stupidity they'll throw around. And um, and in the process, basically swindle people into, you know, running in their direction and kind of swapping one group of overlords for a new group. And it's just just misses the point of Bitcoin. Like the Bitcoin innovation, as I said earlier, it's like it takes the money and puts it on the top shelf where none of us can reach. That's the innovation. Crypto is. No, let's take it from these people, and now we have the power. It's like the same <laughs> problem. That's right. It's like Groundhog Day, and it drives me absolutely crazy when I see these people like, um, you know, talking about like trying to use the tropes, like you know that idiot Richard Hart, and like all these people. It's like, I mean, th that guy is a classic example of like, you know, I did that so-called debate with him, and people, you know, some idiots were like, oh, he beat you in the debate, and I was like. If, if beating means like you're, I don't know what, you know, measuring stick you're using for a debate because like Richard Hart basically said, no, you know, hex is better than Bitcoin because you make more money out of it. And because I created it and because, um, I am the ultimate philanthropist because I make you rich. And it's like, then a month later, while everyone's losing money and there's a crypto bear market, he's shaking his ass and, uh, $20,000 Louis Vuitton shoot, suit. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's crypto for you in one. Yeah, Lambos and, and, and boob jobs, man. No, I, I definitely, I, I saw it and saw it firsthand. And, you know, it's it's really cool to see also uh, the graciousness uh, of, of Bitcoiners in that same space, to share that space with them, to plant seeds, to maybe wake some of them up and, uh, and then maybe really know who uh, who the bad actors are all as well. But um, guys, we are running up on time. What can we do to help you, find you, uh, support the Uncommunist Manifesto? Wonderful short read, about 80 pages. What can we do for you guys? I would say number one is uh, pick up a copy. Um, that would yeah. be nice. So it's it's on Amazon. 
I will uh, I'll give you the link afterwards. But if you just type in uncommunist links for you guys. Yeah. But if they type in uncommunist manifesto, they should see it. It's available right now in Kindle, in paperback, and in most countries it's available in hard hardcover. So and the hardcover is like really beautiful. It's like thick. It's like such a nice print. It's one of those books that you want on your bookshelf. So so is that the Audible is still pending for some reason. So that that should be out uh in the coming days, I guess. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see when that pops out. It's our first attempt at doing an audible. And then, if uh, the the second request is that once you've bought it, uh, what we're hoping to amass is some verified reviews. So when you've bought it on Amazon, you can actually leave a verified review. The more of those we have, the farther the book will spread. And and that's probably more important for us than you just buying a book. So if you want to buy the cheapest version, go for it and then leave a verified review because that's what we want. Like we want the message to spread. So that's uh, number two. And then if you so please, when you're on your socials, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, uh, you know, take a screenshot of a section, quote a part of the book, you know, hashtag uncommunist. I think, I mean, I, I'm... But I think that that's a useful hashtag to sort of like trend because like we, we need to, I think this book does a good job of capturing the zeitgeist of the time. And the zeitgeist of the time is this push to say, fuck you to, you know, central planning, central authority, uh, you know, top down fiat decree. Like it's, it's a real push to that. I think there's a, there's a special zeitgeist that's captured in this book. So, yeah, hashtag the uncommunist part, support it. Let's let's try and get this out to as many people as possible. Right on, Mark. Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, I don't I don't know if anybody does, but we certainly didn't uh, write this book to get rich. Uh, we didn't price it <laughs> to get rich. We're just trying to get the word out as as much as possible. Uh, we we believe that uh, good ideas because win because they're they're good ideas, but they have to be. Uh, you have to be able to intelligently um, share those ideas and 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 spread those ideas. And so uh, we've given you, we've done a lot of hard work, and we've kind of given you a very short, concise book that can give that to you. Uh, good ideas will win uh, because they're better, but only if you can relay those. So this this will give you that information. And so, uh, like I said, it's, it's priced pretty cheap. Buy a couple copies, share it. Um, it's the only way we win is by sharing these ideas. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people are doing a lot of hard work producing content and then everybody listening can just share it. And then like Alex said, yeah, please, 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 uh, leave us a review. Just go get that cheap, cheap version and just leave us a review if you want, just to help us get the word out and get it spread a little bit more widely. Guys, I'm, oh, uh, I will also say actually uncommunist.com. Uh, if you, if you get the book, then you get access to like members area. So there's a bunch of free content in there as well that people can get access to. I forgot about that. Right on. Hey, guys, I've uh, I've really enjoyed hanging out with you guys. Uh, ladies and gents, go out there and support these uh, these amazing guys. They are some of the, the best, brightest, the hard knucklers in this space is what we need, um, whether it's their, their writings or their shows or work or whatever it is. Uh, this is the type of stuff you can expect from this community. And I got to tell you, you know, it is a breath of fresh air in this world. Uh, to see guys in this generation stepping up uh, against the machine and really just hammering them with everything you got in spite of the fact that they've got the the fiat machine on their side. So uh, kudos to you both. Thank you guys for joining me. I can't wait to hang out with you again soon, hopefully maybe out west at the uh, Pack Bitcoin. And uh, until then, ladies and gents, we will see you next week. I love you. I need you. Peace.
Thanks, Shane. Thank you, brother. Um, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff.